Hello, I'm Dr. Dean Schroffnagel, Senior Deputy Editor of the Annals of the American Thoracic Society. Today I'm speaking with Dr. Joseph Gerald, MD, PhD, Assistant Professor, Public Health Policy and Management, University of Arizona in Tucson, and Dr. Laura Milgram, Associate Professor of Pediatrics, Case Western Reserve University in Cleveland. Dr. Gerald was the first author of an article that appears in the July 2014 issue of Annals of the American Thoracic Society entitled, Asthma Medications Should Be Available Over-the-Counter Pro. Dr. Milgram authored an article in the same issue entitled, Asthma Medications Should Be Available Over-the-Counter Con. Welcome, Dr. Gerald and Dr. Milgram. Thank you. Thank you. Um, Dr. Gerald, could you tell me how the U.S. Uh, Food and Drug Administration decides which medicines are available without prescription? Uh, this is to set the stage for our further discussion. And what is the impact um, to the consumer uh, and to the manufacturer of having a, uh, medications available um, over-the-counter uh, versus not? Sure. Uh, to date... The majority of the over-the-counter switches have actually been initiated by the pharmaceutical firms themselves. Uh, their primary goal being uh, to extend revenue uh, from products who are about to go off uh, patent, and this is a way to uh, access markets that otherwise might not be available. Uh, it's been rare for these switches to be driven by advocacy by either the government or uh, patient groups. Uh, those interests are usually not represented well. Um, for this reason, when we look at what asthma medications that might be available for transition, thinking about those that are currently available in generic form or those that are about to be released in generic form would be the most likely candidates for such a switch. Generally, once a request has been made onto the FDA, the FDA then sends it to its non-prescription drugs advisory committee, uh, which is a 14, 17-member panel uh, made up of appointed members who have expertise in internal medicine, family practice, clinical toxicology, and pharmacy, and so forth. Uh, it's important to note that the committee has up to, but no more than one member who actually represents the consumer's um, interest. Uh, this committee is tasked with reviewing the available uh, safety information from research, and they vote. Uh, their vote is non-binding, but for the most part, uh, its decisions are codified by the FDA. Uh, and so the impact for the firms, they're hoping to increase market share and profitability. I think for consumers, it's greater uh, access, ease of access, and hopefully lower prices. And for the, um, the panel and the FDA, the main uh, considerations they have, I would assume, then, are safety of the products, uh, that uh, would they need to demonstrate more safety if they go over-the-counter than prescription, and efficacy. I, I would imagine that if a um, product would be, would be less efficacious, it may not be or uh, be able to uh, be available non-prescription, or does that have any effect of, of the, their you know, decision? I, it can vary, uh, but I think primacy is placed on uh, the safety constraints, uh, making these uh, medications more widely available and without medical supervision, I think, forces that kind of the, the, the emphasis on safety. And efficacy, generally, particularly for the switches, is already assumed 
uh, because the drugs are available in prescription-only status. And so I think it's primarily thinking about the side effect profile, drug-drug interactions, how the medications might be used in unintended ways, and what consequences those might have. And Dr. Milgram, do you have any further comment on this? Uh, I have two comments. Uh, one, I, I totally agree with Dr. Gerald. I think that one of the main focus, if they're thinking about transitioning to over-the-counter status, is uh, they talk about whether or not they can establish conditions for safe use. So that's a major consideration, which involves not only their side effect profile, but adequate patient education for mechanism action of the drugs and um, their, how they're supposed to be used. My other comment is that the, the difficulty with the current asthma medications is that none of them uh, right now is available in generic form other than the uh, leukotriene receptor antagonist uh, Montelukastor Singular. The inhaled corticosteroids, which are used for controller therapy, and inhaled albuterol, which is used for rescue therapy, are currently not available in generic form. Inhaled albuterol used to be available as a generic, um, but since the switch to meter-dosed inhalers that use HFA propellant rather than those inhalers in the past that had fluorocarbons, all of the current albuterol inhalers on the market are still available as brand-name inhalers, such as ProAir and Ventolin. So the discussion at the moment for transitioning asthma medications to over-the-counter status would involve transitioning brand-name medications at this point in time. There are um, nebulized versions of albuterol and uh, one particular inhaled corticosteroid called budesonide, which are available as generic, but most patients do not use wet nebulization uh, for their maintenance or daily therapy, and most insurance companies won't cover that, particularly in an older population. So really the discussion at the current moment would be looking at transitioning brand-name medications to over-the-counter status. And is uh, the availability of a generic medication, would that be a requirement uh, uh, by the FDA for over-the-counter? It seems no, that... It's- no, yeah, it seems uh, not, huh? Yeah, no, it's uh, generally, uh, again, uh, most switches are, are uh, initiated by the firms looking to uh, do something with a product that's gone off patent and therefore um, pricing. You know, so making the transition from branded to generic within, say, six months to a year, they've lost 80% of market share and uh, generic prices are a third of uh, branded prices, and so uh, firms would be looking for a way to maintain revenue. And so that's why, at least historically, branded medications simply don't go over the counter. Or okay. Well, thank you. Um, now, uh, Dr. Gerald, could you briefly tell us why you believe asthma medicine should be available without prescriptions? And uh, would you also specifically state which medicines are, which types of medicines are you talking about? And so this is really uh, an old story that we're all familiar with and trying to solve in various ways. And that's that basically patients are suffering needless symptoms and experiencing unnecessary exacerbations because they're not consistently using a daily controller medication. And so non-adherence is a major issue in trying to think about ways to solve this complex problem is where this initiative is kind of coming from. We know that adherence is a complex, complex issue, but... Um, certainly part of the problem is that there's pretty significant inconvenience and cost associated with obtaining prescriptions, and this may dissuade patients from using any medications at all or may encourage them 
uh, to rely on simply quick relief medications if they're making uh, a choice or a decision. Uh, and so from our perspective, we're trying to find a way to make it easier for patients to uh, obtain both controller and reliever medications. And so we advocate for making uh, drugs not just like albuterol, but also uh, inhaled corticosteroids and leukotriene uh, modifiers uh, also be considered for over-the-counter use because we would like to be able to say to patients that you can obtain both simply, conveniently, at a relatively low cost. And Dr. Milgram, maybe you could uh, briefly state why you believe asthma medicine should not be available without prescription. And uh, I suspect you're talking about the same medications as uh, Dr. Gerald is, uh, but please confirm that. Sure, I will. I'll attempt to be brief because uh, I actually have multiple reasons uh, that it concerns me uh, for a discussion about transitioning asthma medications, either control or inhaled corticosteroids or uh, rescue inhaled bronchodilators to over-the-counter status. Um, I haven't, uh, didn't spend a lot of time in, in my article talking so much about the leukotriene receptors, but they are also part of the maintenance medications that we use to treat asthma, so that would be on the controller side. But my, my reasons for having um, reservations about uh, the discussion for transitioning to over-the-counter status, first, uh, the current standard of care in this country for asthma diagnosis and management has been established by the National Asthma Education and Prevention Program, which was established in the late 1980s to really develop clinical practice guidelines for asthma diagnosis and management. Asthma is a very multifactorial disease. There's lots of ways to skin a cat. There's lots of ways to manage manage these patients, and so the uh, guidelines were really established to help standardize some of that care. These guidelines really stress a management strategy that includes four major components, those being uh, use of objective measures to assess severity and monitor control of the disease, environmental control measures, patient and family education, and then finally pharmacologic management. So the pharmacologic management is really only one piece of the puzzle for asthma management and control. My uh, hesitation and my worry is that transitioning asthma medications to over-the-counter status might likely undermine really some of these other important factors for establishing adequate asthma control. And poorly controlled asthma has been shown in multiple studies to result in increased health care costs by increased acute and emergency care visits, increased indirect costs from lost work and lost school. And in addition to jeopardizing current standards of care guidelines, there are also some safety and cost considerations for the patient if the medications are transitioned to over-the-counter status. It's definitely true that in general, both the rescue inhaled albuterol and controller inhaled corticosteroids do have a favorable safety profile, but they're not totally benign medications, and really ongoing education and reinforcement is critical to their use. Even in patients who I see regularly, there are oftentimes remains confusion about the different inhalers, their mechanism of action. So it's not uncommon that I might have patients who are mistakenly using inhaled corticosteroids for rescue or relying too heavily on inhaled bronchodilators for maintenance. There are also well-known studies highlighting the risk for death or near death with increasing use of short-acting beta agonists. So again, the education around these meds ends up being very important. Uh, systemic steroids are used for acute exacerbation management in asthma, and in short courses, they're relatively safe. 
However, the real goal with asthma management is to reduce the frequency that someone's going to be relying on those systemic steroids to get them out of an exacerbation. And in a situation where you may likely negatively impact overall asthma control, it's possible then that there would be more courses of systemic steroid uh, needed, and they definitely have a less uh, safe uh, medication profile. And then, of course, the issue of cost to the patient is paramount. It'd be wonderful if there were access at lower costs for these meds, and if they go to a generic, that would be fantastic. Uh, the current inhaled corticosteroids and in inhaled albuterol preparations, again, are not really available generic yet. Um, the average cost for an albuterol inhaler is about $65. The average cost for an inhaled corticosteroid inhaler can range anywhere for $150 to $200 or more. If these costs are transferred to the patients, it's easy to see how quickly it might become impossible for patients and their families to afford their medications, either rescue or controller, which again would likely result in people triaging what they can afford and thereby uh, resulting in potentially less well-controlled asthma that again gets you back in that vicious cycle for increasing healthcare costs. Wow, thank you. Um, Dr. Gerald, uh, have these medicines gone over the counter in other settings, and what can we learn from this? Yeah. Also, if you have any comments on what Dr. Milgram has said, that's fine to tell yeah. me that, too. Yeah. And, and so uh, I'll start by addressing some of the concerns that Dr. Milgram uh, had raised um, and then uh, address your question specifically. Uh, one of the things Dr. Milgram mentions is, you know, as, asthma therapy is not just medicine. And I wholeheartedly agree, but I'm not sure from my perspective that I would see over-the-counter versus prescription only the mechanism of how asthma, how asthma medications are obtained would necessarily interfere with any of the behavioral approaches that uh, Dr. Milgram suggests, and we, we know they're important. Uh, so I don't necessarily see those as competing um, priorities. With regard to albuterol monotherapy, I think we all would agree that that's a suboptimal treatment regimen and should be uh, avoided. Uh, you know, one of the things that we might like to see looking 10 years, 15 years down the road perhaps would be uh, having both a quick reliever and a controller uh, agent available in the same uh, inhaler, uh, much like uh, Advair today, and this would be available over the counter. That prevents, in total, uh, the issue of albuterol monotherapy. With regard to the deaths uh, and adverse outcomes with albuterol monotherapy, I think we can say with pretty high degree of certainty today that existing uh, medications like albuterol are safe. You know, historically, uh, some of the high-potency formulations, non-selective uh, agents like isoproteranol have a bad reputation and have been subsequently um, taken off the market. And so I, I think clinicians can feel comfortable that albuterol today is safe but is a suboptimal, ineffective strategy by itself. And then lastly, with regard to cost, I think data from uh, looking at other transitions, we see prices for consumers um, being lower after switches than they were before. And it's not necessarily true that just because a medication is available over the counter that an insurance company is not going to cover it. Um, data doesn't suggest that's, com that's likely to happen in all cases. It may happen in some. Uh, specifically, have over or asthma medications available over the counter uh, elsewhere? Uh, the answer is yes and no. Uh, for albuterol, the answer is yes. Uh, Australia has made... Um, quick reliever medications available over the counter since about 1985. 
Um, the data are limited. Uh, we, we do know that today 40% of all albuterol is purchased over-the-counter in Australia, and those who purchase over-the-counter tend to be younger and use uh, controller medications less frequently than those who purchase prescription drugs. But when we look at the outcomes, uh, asthma control, quality of life, lung function, there do not seem to be appreciable differences. Of course, one of the issues may be differences in severity with over-the-counter users um, tending to have a slightly milder and more intermittent disease. Um, but just thinking about Australia's experience, it doesn't seem like there's overwhelming concern or evidence of harm making this medication available over-the-counter without controller medications being available. With regard to the controller medications, there are no examples where these medications are available. The closest Example we might have would be statin treatment for hypercholesterolemia. In 2004, the United Kingdom made um, statins available, simvastatin available over the counter. Um, the data are a little bit mixed, but looking at um, aggregate um, data provided by pharmaceutical companies on how much they sell, it looks like um, utilization went up substantially after the change and prices uh, went down. And so I think consumers stand to benefit from these uh, types of switches, but there's really nothing specifically to suggest what might happen if asthma controller medications were made available. Good. Um, and Dr. Milgram, do you agree with uh, these comments, or would you like to expand a little bit more on them? Uh, sure. So definitely in Australia, as Dr. Gerald mentions, the over-the-counter albuterol use um, uh, has has been there since the, the mid-80s. Um, it does seem to be associated um, w or with younger patients, um, oftentimes patients who don't have primary care physicians. And those patients also tend to use less controller uh, medication. Um, and as, as he mentioned at the very beginning of the podcast, many patients suffer needless symptoms and frequent exacerbations because they're not consistently using a controller medication like an inhaled corticosteroid. So again, um, it's a dangerous situation when patients are relying on rescue medication only. Now, in, in Australia, if that's the only one that's available over the counter, that may be part of the reason for it. You could also argue, absolutely, that maybe those patients are really more mild and they don't actually require controller therapy. The difficulty with that is that there have been studies looking at sort of patients' um, different uh, degrees of severity of disease and also patients' perception of their own uh, degree of the severity of their disease. And so they've looked at uh, subjects who rely on over-the-counter the medications only. Those subjects have generally rated their disease as less severe. However, when they did spirometry data on those subjects, the patients who were relying on over-the-counter medications and actually rated their disease as mild did show um, positive change in FEV1, or forced expiratory volume after one second, following administration of a bronchodilator, which is a measure, an objective measure that we use to show uh, baseline obstruction with uh, reversibility. So the fact that these patients who uh, described or, or perceived their disease to be quite mild actually showed obstruction at baseline with positive bronchodilator response. So the difficulty there is that there's a certain discordance or there can be a discordance between the actual disease severity and patient perception. 
and because of that discordance, you may have situations where patients really perceive their disease to be quite mild, or I don't really need to get any attention, I just need a quick get an albuterol, I'm actually, I don't really have, you know, chronic asthma, I just need a little bit of albuterol here or there. And in that situation, it's very difficult for me to conceive of how we could come up with the conditions where really safe use could be established for transitioning asthma meds to over-the-counter status. With regard to um, sort of other diseases where medications have been transitioned, um, I have two comments. First, um, at least anecdotally and historically from the patients that I see, once the medications are transitioned over-the-counter status, they generally are not covered, at least by commercial insurance. There are definitely some medications that still are covered um, by Medicaid, um, but the vast majority of the medications, for, particularly in diseases like allergic rhinitis and gastroenteritis reflux, those medicines are no longer um, covered uh, by the insurance. So I think it's likely that once a uh, transition like this might go through, that a similar fate would fall on the asthma medications. Uh, and again, that could be quite disastrous when you're talking about a monthly cost for medications. Even if it comes down with the transition to over-the-counter status, there's still multiple medications that they would be required to be buying on a regular basis. So it would still be a monthly cost that for many people would be potentially prohibitive. And in addition, many of the asthmatic patients also have comorbid conditions like allergy and reflux, which are exactly diseases that currently have over-the-counter medications that are no longer covered. So the true monthly cost for the patients could run even higher if they're now having to buy not only their asthma, but their allergy and their reflux medica medications as well without any coverage. Second and even more important than cost considerations, you know, the other diseases where medications have been transitioned over-the-counter status are not diseases where there's a real risk for mortality. You don't die from your allergic rhinitis or your gastroenteritis reflux. Asthma, unfortunately, on the other hand, remains a disease where even in 2014, I still see patients suffer great morbidity with respiratory failure requiring ventilatory support, and also you still see asthma deaths. So the, if there's any potential to increase these very real risks for morbidity and mortality, again, it makes it very difficult for me to conceive of a situation where conditions of safe use could adequately be established to justify a transition to over-the-counter status. Oh, thank you. I, I would like to switch gears just a little bit here or have you switch, and I'd like to ask Dr. Gerald um, if you see problems um, – if, uh, if there's problems with going o uh, medicines going over the counter, and Dr. Milgram, if you see problems uh, that is uh, where medications with uh, making the medications available without prescription. So what I'm doing is just asking you to turn the uh, arguments around. And Dr. Gerald, maybe I'll ask you first. Do you see any problems either in the medications or circumstances where OTC prescriptions might not be a good idea? Uh, yeah, I think Dr. Milgram outlined um, those well. I would reinforce uh, two. I think one would be, are patients going to use the medications in a manner that we would want them to use? <clears throat> I think we know, despite our best efforts, that patients are not going to take as much controller medication as we as clinicians would like them to. I mean, 40 years of data suggests that's true. Will they take even less if 
medications were made available over the counter. I think that's something that we realistically need to be concerned about and would need to do good surveillance on. I don't have the same degree of concern that Dr. Milgram does. I tend to think patient autonomy and um, their need to uh, control their own health and their disease will, to me, suggest that um, things aren't going to get worse, that they're going to get better. I think the other concern is um, cost. What truly is going to happen to patient costs with a switch like this? I think the data historically suggests that prices are going to come down and cost to the patient as well. Uh, there's pretty good data on the antihistamine switch. It's a little bit more dated now, but most health plans did not take their uh, antihistamines off formulary. Uh, they Some the majority, 75% didn't. Some that did make changes moved it to a higher copayment tier. And so I think we do have to worry about patient cost in this because the whole idea behind it would be to make it more convenient and less costly for patients. And so I think both of these things can be monitored. Uh, and if they have unintended consequences, I think we can deal with those in regulatory ways. Um, but I think maintaining the current status quo of making asthma controller medications hostage to physician prescription is not in our best interest. It's not in our patient's best interest. We have 40 years of data suggesting that underuse is a tremendous problem. Our common approaches to improving adherence haven't worked. So I think this is one potential mechanism that uh, might help. All right. I, I, I'm not sure that was totally from the other side of uh, view, but good enough. And Dr. Milgram, I'm going to ask you to look at it from uh, Dr. Gerald's uh, point of view. Are there circumstances where you would agree to making these medicines available without a prescription? Um, I'll try. <laughs> it's probably the, probably the most honest answer I can I can give. Um, again, you know, the idea that a transition to over-the-counter status uh, might potentially overall lower the costs um, would be fantastic um, for the patients because um, even with the prescriptions as they currently stand, uh, the cost to the patient still remains high just with um, monthly copays. And if you have monthly copays for meds that are covered that can be 40 or $50 a medication, again, you have patients that oftentimes require three or four medications a month, not just a one-time deal like a one-time antibiotic thing. So they're talking about, you know, a monthly uh, outlay that can, you know, even if it's with copays alone, can be, you know, $100, $150. And if they have multiple children with asthma or multiple family members with asthma, which is often the case, very easily those costs can go up uh, dramatically and in, a, and in a very quick way. So if, in fact, there, there would be some mechanism to truly uh, decrease those costs, um, that obviously would be a great advantage uh, to the patients. Um, I, again, my, my big hesitancy is, is that it's hard for me, again, with the sort of safety concerns and, and really with the difficulty with patients adequately assessing the severity of their own disease, it's really hard for me to think of great situations, though, where it's going to be really safe to, to convert these medications to over-the-counter status. One situation where it might be really tempting to consider a possible uh, scenario where, you know, Perhaps there's a patient who has routinely fills her asthma medications and just happens to be you know, out of refills for albuterol. They're on controller meds. They generally you know, have those medications filled 
with some regularity, uh, and they just happen to have run out of their, as, their albuterol refills. And then you might say in that situation, well, maybe there could be with some conditions, again, of safe use uh, established that a pharmacy could, uh, pharmacist could potentially extend their prescription for, the, for a limited period of time until they could, you know, get more refills. Um, the problem with that scenario for me is that if a patient were experiencing really increased symptoms and feel like, oh, gosh, you know, when I'm having symptoms, I'm out of my albuterol, I need to get more, and if, and if that's in a somewhat more emergent way, then worried about that patient potentially seeking help in a pharmacy rather than in a true medical environment where they might really need to be seen. As, again, if the patient's, you know, can often times underestimate the severity of their situation, I'd hate to have somebody sitting in a CVS trying to get albuterol where they really need to be being seen by medical attention. Well, I think we're out of time for our uh, today's podcast. So I would like to thank you uh, both, Dr. Gerald and Dr. Milgram. And I will say that this will do it for the podcast for the Annals of the American Thoracic Society for July of 2014. Thank you for listening.